Hey, I heard you had a show coming up. Yeah, this weekend you coming? Dude, I will be there. Nice. So you got your tickets? Oh, not yet. I'm gonna get them tomorrow, though. The show's sold out. Don't worry. I, I got you on the guest list. Oh man, you're the best. Can I get a plus one? Uh, don't push your luck. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode three of On the Guest List with Foxtrot and the Get Down and White Sox. Dave, with you today is your boy, Colin. Also with us from Foxtrot, we have our bass player, Mr. Ken Bianco. Ken, how are, how are we, buddy? Doing good. How are you guys doing? Good, man. You're always so cordial with your, uh, with your greeting, and I appreciate that. I try. I try my best. All right, and on the other side, we have Cowboy Dave back from whatever fucking city he's in. Dave, how are we doing, bud? I'm doing good. I'm finally learning what uh, life is like on the road. Oh my I am God. so exhausted and just mentally drained. Dude, um, there, there, you can ask Ken. There's nothing like coming back from tour and your brain is just fucking mush. Where have you been in the past two weeks? So I went, I, I can't, starting, I think it was the 26th of January. I went from Chicago to New York for eight days, back to Chicago for three days, back to New York for three days, and then, then to Detroit for two or three days. And then now I'm back in Chicago again. So a lot of time in the airport. And in the meantime, I was supposed to have, I was supposed to fly from Chicago or New York to Chicago for a day back to Detroit in the middle. And I woke up for my flight. I'm like, I'm not doing this. Like I, <laughs> so I, I texted our booking girl. I'm like, Hey, I'm not getting on that flight. Like just fly me directly to Detroit. I'll stay an extra night there or something. She's like, that's fine. So it's been hectic. Um, so we have kind of a, a crossover audience for my audience knows I was what I was doing, but it was kind of what I describe as I was playing Hunger Games with gambling with Dave Portnoy's money. <laughs> yeah, Dude, it, it, that it, was it, insane wow. to watch. It was insane to watch, by the way, because we did watch. Explain what happened yesterday. So, are do you guys gamble on sports? Yes. Yes. Okay. So what we did is we were each given ten thousand dollars to play with, and the you, you could only live bet the Super Bowl. You couldn't bet like the pregame props or anything like that. Oh. Once kickoff happened, you had to you had to bet at least seven thousand dollars of the ten, and it was winner take all for at least fifty thousand dollars. So I had a one in I had a twenty five percent chance to win fifty thousand dollars yesterday, but I was with the teammates, so I would have had to split it down the middle, which is still a lot of money. And um, the rush because I usually bet the most I've ever bet on a game I think is five hundred dollars. That's I'm, a reasonable amount of money. Which is, I like, that was like, that I was pissed. I lost the bet, and I was pissed I lost <laughs> it. But usually my, my unit is $100. Um, and I still get pissed when I lose those bets. The thrill of throwing around five and $6,000 bets oh, yeah. is unmatched. The rush was unbelievable. <laughs> so we hit. You were in a casino. Yeah, and you're in a casino. And I was in a casino. It was, but it was like, holy shit, this is a lot of money. You, you're all of a sudden you're up to eighteen thousand. Then you lose nine, and you're down to nine. Then you're down to almost zero, and then you make some back. It was crazy. So um, we didn't win, of course. Spoilers, but everybody <laughs> was watching it. Um, Rico Bosco took home fifty-seven grand, which Jesus. is unbelievable. And it, it, the money was in his account within ten minutes after after the Super Bowl ended. Dude, can I bring something up? Uh, I randomly checked this yesterday. For some reason, we're blocked by Rico Bosco. I have no idea why. Oh, really? You probably said something. I never said anything. I've never tweeted to Rico Bosco. I, you probably said something to Nadu or something. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him about it. I'll talk to him about oh, it. Oh, so, yeah, that's a whole other side. First off, you're not up on the Barstool News. That's a giant rivalry. But, uh, but, 
before we move on from gambling, I just want to point this out. Ken is the king of the $5 parlay. Ken is the king of the $5 parlay. I'm actually pissed. For like 300 I was going to do the bet, and I wanted to get you, get some podcast unity, but it was random, so I ended up not doing that. But all my bets Oh, you should have done it because everybody who did that bet got paid out. I know. Yeah. I know. And so Will, our saxophone player, texted me. His brother did it and then texted him. He's like, yo, they just credited me a thousand fucking dollars. Yeah. So well, I mean, that's the Barcelona difference. We were I was I was mad that the app was down because I wanted to, you know, get the show on the road for for the contest that I did. I think Dave Portnoy is gonna kill somebody. Dude, I thought so too. Because I was sitting there and I was watching him just stew. And yeah, I, the only thing I kept thinking was, Dave, don't say anything because I think Portnoy might just grabbed you. I, I, was very, I was like, Dave, don't fucking say anything. I was privy to that myself because usually when he's mad, like he's he's explosive and he's loud. This time he wasn't really saying much. And I was like, holy shit, he's, he's a ticking time bomb. When I did turn oh. it on, though, the first thing I saw was you said something like, my friend said it was a cybersecurity hack, and he went. He just went. Who said that? And he was like, "Dave, shut the fuck up." Yeah. Well, I got a text. He's like, "Honestly, since all three are down right now, like I wouldn't be surprised if it was a cybersecurity like a, a, a hack or something." So I'm like, "Oh, that could make sense." But I guess it happens every year for the Super Bowl, and the company that supplies the and this is like beyond my brain power, but the company that has the routers and the servers for all the major sports gambling apps, it, it has like a monopoly. It supplies uh, all, okay. all the same ones. So all the servers for all the companies are down because they're the same servers. So I guess this company just sucks and they always fuck things up. And uh, of course, biggest night of the year. Super Bowl. It's the biggest sports betting night of the entire year in the globe. And it was a huge night for us because we're only live in two states right now. And the amount of money that could have been made yesterday in one half of football that we didn't is crazy. So, Unbelievable. So he might kill somebody, and I wouldn't I, – I mean, hypothetically speaking, I wouldn't blame him. Um, <laughs> Ed will roll, but um, – Allegedly. But, yeah, I did uh, – I got hot on blackjack last night. I did walk out, like, $800 richer than hey. – Nice. So it's something, but it's not $57,000, you know. That's all right, though. You know what, though? I'm just glad you're alive because I got worried for your life there for a minute. But you came out $800 up, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, back into the music, and we're going to – Bring this back into sports because this is half sports, half music, yeah, this podcast. Yeah, for sure. We want to talk about the Super Bowl because, of course, me and Dave had conflicting opinions on Twitter last night about something. It's a big night for football, of course, but it's also a huge night for music. The biggest music night of the year might be the Super Bowl halftime performance and the national anthem. And uh, Dave tweeted something out, which I texted him right away, a rebuttal. And it's a larger conversation kind of about – the the online nature of criticism of performances but the weekend's halftime performance biggest performance of the year i thought it was fucking incredible i had a bunch of my boys text me and say what the fuck are you talking about that was absolute trash and then i saw you tweet that was one of the worst halftime performances of all time what was what was it about the halftime performance that got you so i have to clarify when i say that two things the there was like a quarter of a second of a quarter of a second difference in the audio and the visual on at the bar that we were watching it didn't affect the football game because you're not looking at anybody talking but it looked like he was lip-syncing I'm sure he was anyways which I mean they have to for the halftime show in case anything goes crazy which I understand but it it looked like a really bad lip-syncing performance 
that and so like like the that just kind of bugged me and that could have been us i don't know and then um it could have been like where i was watching the game i should say and then like the the visuals like i don't need that for a concert i don't need the visual stimulation i just need the music and i do really like the weekend i just thought that it was way too overboard that's under that's understandable i can i can see that I will say, too, because I did research into this because I watched it. I loved it. But I did hear what you were hearing in a certain perspective. It was backing tracks. So a lot of times on these huge performances, these guys will sing, but they'll also have backing tracks underneath what they're singing as a safety net. And there was this, like, slight off for some of it. He was coming through very thin. I really liked – because, first of all, I will say I've been a weekend fan since day one. I think he's good. I think he's good. I've been like an obsessive fan. It was like an inside thing for a long time. Like when he was like first coming up that it was like, Oh, you fuck with the, it was like the kind of way we talked about MF doom, but like you bump into somebody and they're like, Oh, you fuck with the weekend. I fuck with the weekend. And then of course he became like the biggest star in the world. Yeah. Uh, But I will say I've never seen a performance on TV be so divisive of people either saying that was fucking incredible or that was the worst thing I've ever seen. Cause that was what I was seeing last night. Uh, it, it, was, it was very black and white. It was. It was. It was one side or another. It was completely like that. What did you think, Ken? I'm literally in the middle. I was like, was it great? No. Was it bad? No. It was just fine. And I will say, people were complaining. I thought that the Maroon Five, uh, Travis Scott Outcast one was the worst one of all time. I forgot I about that one. That one was brutal. And I love Maroon Five. And like, I love Maroon yeah. Five too. Yeah. yeah. I love Travis Scott and I love Outkast. It just didn't make sense to me. I don't like when they do the th- – I want one headline performer. One of the best ones in recent memory I can remember was Bruno Mars. I thought Bruno Mars was incredible. incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into it for our green room picks this week. Uh, we're going to pick the people we most want to see do a halftime show for the Super Bowl. Because it really is, for a, for a music artist, it is like a lifetime achievement award. If you can get that, that is the biggest performance in the world. It's, it's hundreds of All millions of eyes. All eyes are on you. But the one thing that's weird to me is that you have to pay. Like, so. Oh, yeah. So the weekends and his team paid to do that, which yep. doesn't really make sense to me. You guys could probably explain that better. But oh, I always. Gladly. Because what they usually do, he'll announce the tour now. Yep. And that's like basically a promotional commercial for the tour. Okay. So, so Dave, a million people watching it makes. So sense. let me also explain yeah. this. This is something we haven't covered on the podcast yet, but we, we have Ted Stryker on today who works in radio, right? Mm-hmm. It is not, <laughs> there is this fantasy about things in the music industry that like, oh, if I like, if I get one thing to happen, this will happen. Everything in the music industry is pay for play. Do you know how much it costs to get a song in rotation on radio stations? I don't. I so, well, we have radio promoters coming on next week. They're our guests next week, and we'll get into that later. But there is a whole sect of the music industry, which is like radio promotion, where you pay a fee about like $10,000 to a radio promoter who takes it as a middleman to radio stations. And usually, if you want a good one, a radio campaign will cost you between thirty dollars to $60,000 to get your shit to people. And a lot of the times, one way that you can get your shit to radio is by – uh, ad buys for the station. So your record label will buy ads for that station as kind of a push to be like, hey, play our artist. It's all money changing hands at all times. And yeah. it's something that they don't talk about a lot. And when you get to the top of the level, like a Super Bowl halftime show, I never thought about it ever until this year when they said that. But hell yeah, I'm sure that either Republic or whoever his radio or record label is was like, yo, 
here's a ten million. They front the bill. Yeah. They front the bill, and then they're gonna recoup that off of that giant tour that he's doing with fucking two hundred dates, and they get a three sixty deal off that, and they're getting part of the merch and part of the door. And it, what I never got though makes sense. Like the weekend is already huge though. Yeah. Like, what does he have to gain from just a Super Bowl halftime show? Clout. Like, he's gonna sell out his tour. Hundred percent. I think it's like a life. Like I said, it's a lifetime achievement. Yeah, for sure. That too. So th- that's one of those things I've been waiting. Like, there's so much in the music industry that I like knowledge that we have from a firsthand place that I want to delineate to people that are listening to this podcast, especially if they're your fans. Good. You'll also now see this. You can talk with the guys next week, but now Spotify labels are doing promotional pushes where the artist gets paid less per stream, but they'll get on all the playlists and they'll get their stuff pushed through Spotify more. Yeah. Last little thing here because I want to see your head explode. So people right now, the biggest thing you can do in music is get on these giant Spotify playlists, right? Yeah. The thing is all when Spotify was in financial trouble, Warner, UMG, uh, all these labels, all the conglomerates bought stake in Spotify and bailed them out. But said, when you have playlisting, we own three or four spots on those major playlists. So they're farming their artists through. So it's another thing where it's all pay to play or you have to be playing the game to get to where you want to go. So if this changes your mind about wanting to become a rock star, you let me know. <laughs> we'll fucking pull oh, the plug I mean, it makes sense. Sometimes you gotta you gotta spend money to make money. And yeah. um I, I never realized that's what they were doing. I thought that was more the NFL saying, Hey, like we're the NFL. We're mm-hmm. bigger than any one per like performer or artist. You yeah. have to pay us and put the money in our pockets. But I'm sure that goes now that you guys explained it like that, um, it makes complete and total sense why you'd be why you'd want to do that because like you said you're going to make up that money tenfold i love to hear the story of how this person got there even if nobody's ever heard of them once in their life like yep. who is this person oh they're from some town in indiana that nobody's ever heard of and they had the guts to put a song on tiktok or on youtube and now people are starting to follow them that is an incredible that's an incredible story and you wrote these lyrics you're 19 years that just blows my mind. It gets magic. me so enthused. It's ma- I love your – dude, you can see the enthusiasm on your face. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Kind of cherry-picking off that, we have this segment that we do every week called Song Stories where Colin or I will ask who uh, – for instance, Chris Schiff, like, hey, like, when did you record a song? How did you do it? How long did it take? When did you personally know, like, this song's going to be a hit? Or when did you know that you were just in love with this piece of work that – that you put out, even if it wasn't going to be a hit. And it's really cool hearing everybody's like the, the variance and everybody's answers. Cause uh, we were talking to guys from Aesop nation a couple weeks back and they're like, yeah, we threw this song together in like 45 minutes. And all of a sudden it's on every radio station in the country. We couldn't stand hearing it after 10 minutes because it was just thrown down back at our throats so mm-hmm. often. And like, and then someone will have the complete opposite. So piggybacking off what you said, like I couldn't agree more. Like, just the genesis of a song is so cool to me. And, and as a songwriter, there's nothing that we do enjoy more than telling the stories of how these songs got made. So to hear that people care about that is so fucking cool. And I think kind of to go up what Dave said, Ted, is there a song you've ever gotten, something that blew up, something that got humongous, that from a ground floor you got it and you were like, dude, this is going to be fucking huge? Oh, yeah. Give me I it. tell you three or four right off the bat. Uh, One Step Closer from Linkin Park had Mm. zero radio play. And I remember I was new to K-Rock 
and somebody gave me that single on a CD and I was filling, I was doing nights at the time. I was filling in for the afternoon host. And I had known of these guys because they were selling out the Roxy and all these local clubs in LA. And one step closer on the CD instantly to me was like, this is unbelievable. So I played that. The second is Sugar from System of the Down. Mm. Well, many people thought, how can Sugar from System, no one's going to be able to tolerate this crazy. (laughs) That's literally it. (laughs) I knew instantly. And then 21 Pilots was the third. I was the first one to play that. And And I had no idea what they looked like. They had no followers on Twitter. They weren't even on Instagram at the time. I knew instantly. And the last one, um, thanks to the director of Out Cold, Jack Johnson. Oh, wow. Have you heard Jack Johnson? And I'm like, I, is he like a, who is this guy? And he gave me just some demos. And I knew like, wow, the way this guy sings, while it's not like mosh pit music, sweating, Jack Daniels, doing shots, <laughs> I knew that that was going to connect with people. It's funny you said 21 Pilots because uh, we had Wendy Rollins, who, of course, is iHeartRadio all the time. And uh, she said that her biggest find was 21 Pilots. And she saw them with 30 people at a small club in Philadelphia. And right away was like, these guys are going to sell out arenas. Yep. Unbelievable. Um, and, and, And we talked a lot about radio and kind of the state of where it is right now. And one thing that, like, in your the past year, of course, you the like the syndication has become a big thing. You've become such a, a big, a big person in the industry, right? Have you had a hard time? Con- like, and this is more of like a, a personal thing. Has it been hard to connect with an audience that you're not directly in the vicinity of? Is that difficult to talk to a nationwide audience as a, as opposed to just talking to Los Angeles? It's not, it's not that different at all, but it's so similar because now that I'm heard live in Kansas City and Dallas and the Bay Area, it's just like you or anyone at a band or a comedian. You have to get people to care about you that possibly have never, ever heard of you once in their entire life. And then you throw on the fact that maybe the show or the person that we replaced was somebody's favorite at one point. And now you got these new voices, a new personality, a new show. And I have to somehow, and our show does, win these great people over to give us a chance and just like a sitcom like if you go watch the first few episodes of seinfeld it's i'm not saying it stinks but it's like i don't get this at all what is this literally two days ago me and dave were just talking we were doing a pre-call for another interview and dave was like we're gonna listen back to these first couple episodes in like six months and be like what the fuck were we doing (laughs) every time without fail that's how it goes for me every single time i start a new project like, I look back to the beginnings of it, and I'll go back and re-listen just to kind of see how far we've advanced or gotten. And it's cringeworthy to the point where I can't get through them. It's but so bad. Imagine doing that, right? And then also putting, like, your heart and soul into lyrics of a song, which is embarrassing if you're not good at it, right? It's a fucking – we're singing in front of people. Right. I go back and listen to the shit that we, we made in college. Like, I, it's, like, 2014, 2015. And I'm, like – why did anybody let me do this? Why was anybody like, Colin, that's a good idea. You should keep doing that. It's fucking, but the growth is what's really impressive. And I think to watch your growth as, as a radio DJ and, and to be where you are right now is fucking incredible. But I think from perspective of somebody, because Philadelphia has a lot of syndication that's going on right now. We're getting a lot of out of towners to watch how much you care about what you do. It comes off. It's contagious. People can tell when they listen to that. So I think that's why it's working for you. 
Thank you so much for saying that. I, so I take this job and my career, I'm so serious about it that a lot of times, and I don't think work should be fun, but I think the second you finish that gig, it should be the time of your life. Mm. And that's kind of how it is for me. The prep every day, the getting up, even when I was doing the afternoon show and working in a TV gig at the same time, it's like, it's not that fun doing all the prep and getting ready. But after the job is complete, if you prepped properly and did a good job, nothing feels better than that at all. Fact. And to, to, to talk about the other jobs, right? Because we were doing research before this. And like, I know who you are. We've had contact, but it's still interesting to me to find other things about things that you've done in the past. I did not know you were the DJ for the Ellen DeGeneres show for a period of time. I was the man on the street what? and the DJ for Ellen. I did like a hundred and I don't know, maybe 25 episodes on her show. What the fuck? That's insane. It's totally insane. And I got that gig. I remember I got a call from someone. It's like, eh, Ellen is looking for DJ and a man on the street because her previous guy is leaving and she wants you to come to her house. I said, I'm going to Ellen DeGeneres' house. What are you <laughs> talking about? Like, you're, this is the address. Go over there. So I went over to her house, which is about 15 minutes from where I am right now. She had a really long driveway. I didn't park up her driveway. I parked on the street. Oh. I went in. We had a really great meeting. And like, I think it was the next day, I got the call to, that I got the gig. Jesus. You didn't even do the power move of parking directly in front of the front door, though. I'm kind of, you, you probably could have been a co-host had you done that. Exert <laughs> <laughs> dominance. Yeah, do you need to just roll up and assert? You should have parked in the foyer, just pulled right up into the house. Don't so take that's it. Off when you walk inside, open the door on your own, be like, hey, if you want me, I'm here. If right. not, dude, you know, my car's in the foyer. I can get right back in. It is what it is. Uh, so, so other than that, like you, you do that and you've done things with the Grammys as well, which I brought up in the beginning. And I remember there was one specific one that I saw. I'm a huge Tyler, the creator fan. Oh yeah. And to watch you get the access to people right after some of the biggest moments of their life is insane. But my question to that is in those moments where you're interviewing people, what was the biggest moment for you where you were like, holy shit, I cannot believe that I am speaking to this person in this moment? Oh, wow. That I is, know that's tough. It I, is a tough question, but it's a really, really good question. I mean, it goes from, I can kind of just look at my own little timeline where I was, I couldn't believe that Dave Grohl was in the studio with me. And we were doing not just a three minute dumb interview where he hung out from the hour, we took shots of whiskey. Or when like Incubus, Mm. came into the studio with their guitars like hey we just want to play a couple songs for you um it's just hanging out with rick rubin in an, in an interview with jay-z when they came to the radio station oh, that's probably right, that's right, probably right, right, right top there. of the list wow yeah. i'm really glad i asked that question because first off rick rubin has an aura around him right like when you walk around like he just he is Rick Rubin. That's fucking insane. And not to mention the fact that you said with Jay-Z and I went right to Rick Rubin first. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was right when Jay-Z's song 99 Problems came out and mm. Rick Rubin pr produced it. And I think, if I remember correctly, I'm like 97% sure on this, Jay-Z wanted to not necessarily reach out to the so-called rock audience, but he wanted to just be like, hey, I know... 100% of you know who I am. I want you to know about me more. So him and Rick came on my show and they did a full hour 
on K Rock wow. with me. He brought his vodka. We had drinks. It was a really, really fun time. Dude, that's uh, see, like hearing these stories from behind the scenes are just fucking incredible. By the way, it does not surprise me at all that Dave Grohl was on that list. It seems like we have a real Foo Fighters theme going with this podcast thus far. That's that's your great white whale, right, Dave? I mean, he's for. I don't even want to interview him. Like for a show that I do with Parcel or this show, I want to sit in a dive bar, drink some beers with him, and just lob him questions for like eight hours. Because I guarantee he's got the best stories of all time. And I think he'd like do that with a bum like me. (laughs) But I imagine that I want to. I want to think that he would. You know. 100%. 100%. And I think he would. I mean, the guy has a great track record of being really cool to people. Like, he leaves, like, giant tips for bartenders. He just seems like a really genuine guy. Don't you guys think and find it impressive? Like, how does this guy know every song that was ever created, know every lyric, and can play it anytime on his guitar? Every time I see him pop up, but Dave Rose playing uh, this song from 1983, and he's drinking somebody's uh, beer in the crowd at the same time. And even more insane is the fact that he could easily put the guitar down and play the exact same song on the drums, too. It's got to suck to be in a, in a band in a certain situation where you have somebody who is the best at what they do at every single spot in the band. He's just a fucking anomaly, dude. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, one segment that we do do on the podcast is called uh, What the Fuck We've Been Listening To. And from the perspective of somebody who's in the industry and, and it kind of curates a radio station in a certain perspective, what has been piquing your interest recently? Anything new? let's see here. You know, I think uh, an artist named Kenny Hoopla is very underrated. 100%. I think he is so good. I think he should have been Grammy nominated. Not that being nominated for a Grammy says if you're great or not great, but Mm. that dude is awesome. Um, There's this social media star named Chad Tepper who Mm. made a song called um, I Want to Be Your High. I just started listening to that. And I was just, it's a really, really, really good song. I also am a big fan of, who's not necessarily new, but maybe new to some people, Grandson is very impressive. I like Grandson a lot. Um, Bishop Briggs, Claro, who has that song called Sophia. Mm-hmm. She is great. Dylan Cartledge is another artist out there that I like. Um, Foxtrot and The Get Down, this band that a fifth, you know, you should Yeah, all the all the... <laughs> All the big ones, of course, man. No, and see, that's what I like, though, because you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on, and, and there is a lot of new shit out there. When you say Kenny Hoopla, I know what you're talking about because he was definitely our biggest pick of, like, artists that stopped us in our tracks last year when we were going through our segments. And uh, Mike Jones from uh, DC 101 in Washington, D.C., he's, he's a DJ over there, and he, he put me on to Kenny Hoopla at a show right for quarantine. Holy shit. It felt like, um, it, if you want to say, it felt like 2002 Franz Ferdinand. Like, it gave me that kind of a vibe, like that like early 2000s vibe. And I, it excited me. And he's put out some good shit since. He did that song with Travis Barker that I really like. And Yeah. Uh, Estella, I believe it's called. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, so other than that, like, one thing, as someone who's had so many, like, jobs and so many opportunities in the industry, and I mean, me and Dave are both working in different ends of the entertainment industry in one way or another, like, what is some advice you would give to young people who, especially in the world that we're in right now, cutting through the noise? Like, what's your advice to people going for what they want to do? Well, first, I just, what I have noticed about the younger artists is their drive 
that I see here in 2021 reminds me of the bands between 1998 and 2011, where nothing was going to get in their way. And just because you have one top 20 song, it's, that means you still have to work. I noticed a trend after 2011. Been knowing it, I watched my brother's graduation ceremony on TV and you were singing the national anthem. And I looked at my wife and I was like, yo, this kid's fucking incredible. <laughs> what is this? It, it's, it's a matter of like, do you see music as something that you are long-term like, committed to? Is it, is it what gets you out of bed in the morning? Is it like what you want to do? Or is this just something to fill time? Because you have such a God-given talent. It's unbelievable to watch. I definitely think it's, it's, it's part of my calling. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we're called to like use our gifts and talents to minister in different mediums. You know what I mean? So I know that growing up in church, I used to sing here and there, you know, and that touched people where it needed to. Like when I was out in California singing on the beach, like I would sing and then that would reach certain people. You know what I mean? When I was back in Philly and I would sing and I started to sing more gospel, that would reach certain people. And I was still like kind of just still trying to find my way. So like now I'm singing at a graduation ceremony at, from a, you know, at a fire academy. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, I'm still, and people were saying they're being touched. So my, my, my gift is being used wherever God places me. So I'm just kind of just riding with it. I share that sentiment in like a lot of respects because I think about it all the time and the fact that what we do as musicians, it's so intangible in a certain perspective because we're always fighting for the recognition or trying to make something out of ourselves. But at the end of the day, it's all about using your gift. We're all, I always say this too, when people talk to me about songwriting, I don't know how it happens. It's given from somewhere else. Somebody's right. given us that ability. Right. And to hear someone talk about the fact that they're using their gift and their talents for, for what it's meant to be used for is a beautiful thing. Cause we talk to so many people who their only goal is like, I want to get on. I want to, I want to blow up. I want to do this. But I really love to hear somebody else say, I'm just using my talents for what they're meant for. It's a fucking beautiful thing to say, man. Word. Hey man, the God be the glory, dude. He gave it to me. So, <laughs> Absolutely, like, man. Well, let me ask you a question before we go into the song. Because yeah. when I listen to your music, there's a lot of different influence. And there's so much music that gets thrown around today, especially with like quarantine that just happened. Everybody's throwing new music out. What are you listening to lately? Like what is what's been piquing your interest? What's been inspiring you? Dude, to be honest with you, that song that I covered, like uh I'm I I've always kind of have had like a little country root because of my parents, like growing up, like Jamaicans listen to remixes a lot, like, mm. and, and like hymns and stuff like that. And all that stuff is one, three, five, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. like, you know what I mean? So it's just like, all right, these chord progressions just stuck with me. And then I, I find myself listening to the country nowadays and I'm just like, yo, this is just so, this just makes me feel good. Um, yeah. So um, I listen to a lot of country right now, like Parker uh, McCollum. I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but that's, <laughs> that dude, man, like, I've been listening to some of his stuff, and I, I really like it. Um, uh, shoot. I mean, of course, like, the soul. I'm, I love soul, too, you know what I mean? Being from Philly, like, Hell you know yeah, what I mean? Man. Like, just D'Angelo. Um, I called you out on that, too, by the way, when yeah, I was texting you. Well, bro, those D'Angelo harmonies. D'Angelo is one of my all-time favorite artists. Voodoo is one of my favorite records of all time. I, I, bro. I love the fact that you brought up Philly, too, because I try and explain this. Dave's our co-host, and, and he's from Chicago, and I'm trying to explain to him what the Philly music scene is. And we're so deeply rooted in everything, man. As so many things started here, we have such, like, a deep history and so so many – I mean, you could talk Gamble and Huff all day. You can talk about things that came out of Philly back in the 70s, the 60s, mm -hmm. all the way through up until today, man. And to see – because you said you're from West Oak Lane. Where are you from? 
So I live in East Oakland right now. Oh, okay. I was born in West Philly. I grew up in Derby most of my life. No shit. Yeah, yeah. So I moved. I was living in Derby. My parents split. So my dad was in West and my mom was in Derby. So it was just kind of like in between both spots. And after graduating high school, I just went back to Philly, moved to South, moved to South Philly, Southwest, West Philly. And now I'm in East Oakland. So just been all over. I can't wait to get because I'm taking a personal stake in this at this point, because like when I see, when I hear something that's like this special to me, I wanted whatever you, I've said it before, but whatever you need, ask me and I've anything reciprocated fucking we'll write songs. We'll get in the studio. And I want to get you to Nashville as well, by the way, if you're talking country, Jesus Christ, it's my second home, bro. I go down there. I write all the time. I want to get you down there. Um, but, but more than anything to me, like the reason I brought you on is because the song you had sent me is called the best. And it, Stop me in my tracks. I said it a couple times already. And we do a segment called Song Stories. Mm-hmm. And I want to know, one, how it was written, what it was written about, mm-hmm. and what was the process? Where'd you record it? Um, so you're looking at the studio right here. Uh, Homestead. My dingy East Oak Lane <laughs> basement. Um, but yeah, I, the process was me, 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 man. I'm married. I'm, I'm married. I've been married for about three years, almost three years. Congratulations. And thanks, bro. And it's one, uh, one year myself, bro. One year myself. You! Yeah, oh, <laughs> that's why the song hit me too. Married life, dude. Once you get married, certain things hit you in a different way, and I, and I appreciate that, dude. So it's been a journey for sure, and yeah, um, man. you know, I'm just trying to trying to be a better husband, and and like you take a lot of things for granted. You know what I mean? You take every day, like you you like yo, you, you know, you take a lot of things for granted, just to say the least. And um, my wife was one of the things that I took for granted. At some, you know, and I'm just learning, like yo, I gotta really like embrace even the things that are annoying to me you know what i mean because those things actually mold me into like being a better dude like Absolutely. that's why they're annoying because i don't want to do them you know what i mean so that is, that's the most true statement because if you're in a real healthy relationship and you're really committed to somebody a lot of the times they're going to call you out on your bullshit and it's going to right away it's going to be like damn and then you're going to be like you know what you need that in your life dude because if you're in a relationship where everything is all the time like yes 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 then you're not growing as a human being and that's what I took from the song as well. Bro, literally. Like, that's just, that was it for me. I was just sitting there. I'm like, yo, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a, I'm a honor her right now. So I'm going to write this song. And I'm and this is just, I'm a, I told myself I'm not going to make it too, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm, I'm not going to make it too overly saturated in, oh, baby, I love you. Yeah. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to be real. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, that was what came out of it. Let me ask you a question. When you sit down, you're trying to write something like that. Because first of all, like, uh, we had this conversation with Chris Shifflett from the Foo Fighters uh, two weeks ago. And I was asking him, when you're sitting down to write, do you have an, like, an objective in mind or you, whatever comes out, comes out? Because that's how I write generally. I never sit down and, and think to myself, oh, I'm going to write a love song today. Was this a, a reactionary writer? or was this more like this is what I want to cover when I'm writing today? Um, I want to be completely honest. I think this one I knew – like I. I think I was just humming something and I started picking up the guitar and started uh, just playing those three chords. And I'm like, I think the best just started to kind of like rock with me. So I was like, you know what? Oh, and I remember singing the first, the first line, waking up next to you, baby. It's such a blessing. I was like, all right. Uh, you got something there. That's the best hey. feeling when you lay something down, you're like, all right, well, that's going somewhere. I fucking love that. Thank you. Dude. I-, I can't wait for this to come out and I can't wait for people to get introduced to you who haven't heard of you before. And uh, I just want to say, man, it's refreshing to talk to somebody who, who has such a like mindset to what I'm doing and, and just the way I feel about things. And I just, I can't say it enough, man. The whole purpose of this segment of the podcast is literally just to shine a light on people who deserve it. 
and who I think are really going to do something special. And I think you have some, man. Thank you. Dude, don't, no need to thank me. All, you know how you thank me, dude? We get in a room together and we write something. How's that sound? That's, that's it. That's it, man. All right, man. So uh, this is going to be uh, the best by Othniel Chambers. Trust when I say keep your eyes peeled. We're going to be sharing this, and we're going to do some stuff together. So anything else you want to say, my man? Oh, uh, man. So God gave me this platform. Everything I do, I'm trying to just be the best human being I can be just to honor him, just so I can represent him. You know what I mean? So um, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I suggest you get to know him because he changed my life, and he could change yours too. That's yes. beautiful, man. That's what I'm talking about, man. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I cannot wait to get to work on something, all right? Let's do it. All right, man. Thank you. All right, bro. Mm -hmm. Waking up next to you, baby, is such a blessing. Trying to get myself together Trying to do much better for my wife Sometimes I don't know what to do But for you, girl, I'll do what I have to do To see you smile Because you're worth it Baby, you're the best, 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 best Best I've ever had and I'ma be the best, 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 best I can be Cause you deserve the best, 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 best All that I am And I'ma be the best, best, best Cause baby you're the best, best, best for me I'll be the best, 
best, best I can be. Cause you deserve the best, 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 best. All that I am. And I'ma be the best, best, best. Cause baby, you're the best, best, best. Best for me, for me.